Hello and welcome to the Marvel Wrap, a 20-part podcast where we go through the chronological Marvel Cinematic Universe movies in preparation for Avengers Endgame in April. And we're in April, so it is literally this month that this will be coming out, which is wildly exciting. And we still know so little, which is so weird, about Endgame. Uh, My name is Simon Collum. I am a writer, a podcaster, and a fan of the MCU, but I am supported by uh, Dr. Sabina Stent, who managed to see... Loki himself and uh, mm-hmm. ex Daredevil, shall we say, uh, in oh. a Harold Pinter play last yeah. night. Was this last night? Yeah. It was. It was. Hi. Yeah. It was betrayal at the uh, Pinter Theatre in London, and we pounced wow. on tickets as soon as it was announced. And we pounced on the tickets um, just when it was announced. And at that time, it was just Tom Hiddleston. And then they announced Charlie Cox, and I was even more excited. Because, My gosh. Uh, what was Hiddleston Charlie like? Cox. Is he tall? Is he, is he he's really very tall? tall? He's very tall, and he's very lean, and he's ex- and he has that kind of – he has it's very – he has incredible stage presence. He has yeah. a lot of presence about him. He just he, – you know, it's low-key. And he just – he, you know, carries himself very much um, like that. Charlie Cox seemed like really sweet, very smiley. Very. Yeah, he, um, he must be gutted at the moment. Though. At the moment, he must be like, "What am I going to do with my life?" Yeah, it's, it's lovely. He was, you know, he was talking to everyone. He was just so apparent. I saw a tweet. Someone uh, said to him, "I was really pissed off when uh, you know I told him I was really pissed off when Daredevil was cancelled." And he said, "Yeah, me too." <laughs> And you think, oh, poor, poor guy, guy, poor guy, poor guy. Um, Put him in the MCU. You want him back? I want him back. I Reaper. love him. I love him so much. I would, yeah. Okay, so. and uh, we also have Ammon Warman, uh, our comic book guru, who uh, who has felt the wrath of uh, Zack Snyder fans because of a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> how are you? How are you, Ammon? Are you coping? Hi, my name's Ammon. Film critic. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to discuss the <laughs> Ragnarok. Nothing else. No, no Snyder stuff today. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say that I, that I was going to continue using that voice for the entire podcast, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to retire it here. <laughs> <laughs> wow, a unique moment for us all. Uh, <laughs> we're on Twitter at Marvel Rap, and we can be emailed at marvelrappodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, this week is the Scrapper One Four Two episode, um, and I'm not, I'm not going to explain it because if you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then you should be watching the film more. To be perfectly honest, uh, the Scrapper One Four Two episode is going to include Thor Ragnarok. Runaways, just the first series, and Cloak and Dagger. So we've got a lot to get through. We're going to get stuck straight in after this. Thor Ragnarok was released on the 24th of October 2017. It took $854 million worldwide. It's directed by Taika Waititi. Uh, this is the guy behind, behind What We Do in the Shadows and The Hunt for the Wilder People, both great films. Uh, you've got to watch them. Uh, Sabina, Thor Ragnarok, do, I mean, are you a fan of Taika Waititi beforehand? Yeah, very much so. And I was very excited for this one. Yeah, very much. Um, I was kind of like, what? Are <laughs> very sure? Um, he's in a little bit, he's not, he isn't really someone you would peg as a you know, doing a, a Marvel film, but he just fits it so well. And I think he's done a kind of spectacular job on this project. Um, it feels very different 
actors and the other films in the MCU. And I love it so, so much. Great job. And I think it's one of, I think at the time, some of the um, reviews were saying, oh, it's you know, I think Robbie Collin at the time, Robbie Collin of the uh, Telegraph said, oh, you know, it's gaudy, it's brash, it's this, it's that. And it's one of the best ones they've done yet, which is very, mm. very true. It's definitely, a, 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 I think when we talk about like the, the future of the MCU, people normally put up on a pedestal the examples being uh, Black Panther and Thor Ragnarok as the ones that start to really break the mold yeah. and do something and and give a lot of promise for the future of the MCU that they are beginning to go a little bit more outside their comfort zone, do take few risks, and the outcomes have have been consistently so strong. Um, what about yourself, Amon? Do you think Thor Ragnarok is a, cha- a completely different type of thing to what Marvel have done before? Mm, in some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. I was very excited to see the movie, not least of which because of the amazing trailers. Um, the trailers for this movie were really, really great. Some of the best promo material that Marvel has ever released before a film. And then you also have to factor in the mockumentary shorts that Taika had done of Thor before this movie came out, which had me extremely excited to see the film just on the basis of that, because it was sort of like, (laughs) the the, the, the Thor character had never been funnier. And I saw a lot of discourse around the time this film was released that, you know, Thor Thor is, finally, finally they've allowed Thor to be funny, which annoys me because for me, Thor has been funny ever since he stepped on screen in the first Thor movie. Uh, it's just that Taika Waititi, being being the comedian he is, taps into that comedy in a big, big way, um, and you know it has a you know amazing effect on the entire movie. But I will say this: I, I, when I came out of the movie, I really, really enjoyed it. But like the next day, I couldn't remember hardly anything that happened in it. And as time has gone on, and I've sort of rewatched it, this is a movie that I like, but not that I love. And I think, really? and I think for me, uh, the the main reason why that is the case is because while the comedy is really, really good, and I really enjoy it, it also means that emotionally, well, well, one doesn't dictate the other, but on on an emotional level, this doesn't quite work for me because things there, there are big, big things that happen to Thor in this movie, and he loses a lot, but really, the arguably the most emotional moment of all is when he loses his hammer, even though in the same movie he loses his father and he loses Asgard. So I had a very interesting fan theory, and it was how um, the Ragnarok is Thor um, telling um, the people on the Asgardian ship the events of the film, but making it funnier so it wasn't as harrowing for them. So it's like Thor's version (laughs) of the story. That was a fan theory. Um, And that's why maybe, as you say, kind of lacks that weighty emotional punch. But I I feel um, he does lose a lot, but I feel that he does also go through that with Loki. And I think how... He his relationship with Loki is very different in this one. You see Loki actually um, them work together on the same team for once, which we haven't, you know, they, they've always had this kind of aggravation. Um, 
do you remember when um, Chris Hemsworth, he said himself that in Thor 2 they didn't, they didn't um, depict an accurate portrayal of masculinity. He said we didn't do that very well. And I think in this one they do it very, very well because he is going for it and he... You know, he is allowed to be goofy. He's allowed to be. He's allowed to be super hot because this is the one when Thor got really cool and very, very, very hot. Wait, 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 Hold on, back up, rewind. Yeah. Hold up. Yeah. You're telling yeah. me that you were not attracted to Thor in any other Marvel movie, but this is the one that did it for you. This is the one that did it for me. I, I thought he was godly in the first one. This was the one. No, he's a no. I was always a bit. He's too hot headed. He's a you know he's a beautiful man, but I was never, I was never like oh my god, oh my god. I don't like big. I don't like big muscles. I'm not a muscly like kind I'm of. Sorry, yeah. Sabina. Yeah. I, I feel. Yeah. I feel. <laughs> this was the I feel, when I was like, oh my god, he's a god. He is a god. He is a god in I, this one. Yeah. I feel like your issue with uh, Thor <laughs> seems uh, similar to my, my uh, like very unique issues with uh, Tony Stark. Your issues with Thor seem a bit unfair. You're literally having a go at no. him because he's strong. It's not I said it in the earlier one. I said he was he's always been a nice guy. He's always been a nice guy, but I think in this one he's a lot more endearing. I think there is more, there is more personality to him in this one, and I think that yeah. feeds in to his hotness because before he was kind of like a meathead, and it's like you're just a big, strapping, you know, big guy, you know, Good, very good, very good looking and godlike, but you don't seem to have a lot of personality. And I think in this one, he is everything. He's the complete package. And that's if you've just joined me. us here on the <laughs> Sabina Fancy's Men yeah. podcast, um, today we're talking about Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, I can do hours. this today. Yeah, I can do this all day. I'll talk about Chris. Let's talk about Chris Evans now. Yeah. I think this is the one where Thor got, he just got personality and he just got interesting. And I love his interactions with everyone. I love his interactions with Bruce. Um, I love his interactions with Korg. He's Taika Waititi again. Um, with Tessa Thompson, they've got great chemistry, um, such potent chemistry. I mean, this film is just hot in general. Everyone in this film is hot, that's why. And that's Taika Waititi bringing in all these attractive people. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I, as I understand, Taika Waititi is not a bad-looking man himself. He seems to be quite a He's not, yet. he's very good-looking. Um, Jeff Goldblum, oh gosh, it's so bad. But I, as I understand, I think um, Taika Waititi, one of the things that he presented when he was saying about directing this film what that led zeppelin uh you know song it, it's perfect yeah immigrant song the immigrant, immigrant song, song yeah, that, yeah. Uh, uh, from yeah. led zeppelin 3 fans out there yeah. gotta get it um but that that's that, that was literally one of the biggest that was one of the in terms of the tone of the film that's something he he, he kind of sold before he even got the gig um, but funnily enough, I, I think to myself about what we really enjoyed about the first Thor and what we kind of didn't see as much, obviously, in the dark world was that fish out of water context of this god guy on planet Earth and how funny mm. that was. That was the funniest bit of the first Thor. And I think that's exactly what 
Watiti's kind of ta- uh, tapped into here, hasn't he? He's like he's taken this god character, yeah. but now he this time he's in this in Sakaar, which is with Jeff Goldman and all that, and this kind of that context. And you can take him, and you could. This is the fun of Thor is that you can put him in any of these different worlds with all sorts of weird kind of weird and wonderful things. And obviously, he's still this, you know pompous but very strong likable uh but the ultimately a god and that's a funny kind of con that's always a funny mm. thing to see and i think that's the thing because i think you've got two films going on almost you've got one film which is thor on sakaar it kind of goes off to deal with thor and loki in the, in fact on sakaar and also then separately you've got hella wreaking havoc on asgard and it's only mm. they're kind of split up at the start then they're separated for pretty much the whole film and then they meet up at the end to take on each other it's quite funny it's got this it, basically these two films for the for, for a good chunk of the film i think i love the bit when he arrives in sakar and he's on is is in the chair and he's going through that like it's a bit like a um a ride at the fun fair but, and you but you have and but you the, have that uh pure imagination song from uh yes Willy exactly Wonka. Charlie, yeah, Charlie Chocolate, 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 and, it. And it works so. And then he's like, "What the hell?" And it's just that little "What the hell" that um, that Thor says that is echoing our own thoughts, going, "What the hell is this place?" And then when he, he starts screaming, and it's Jeff Goldblum. I mean, it's so. It, it's it's just it's everything. It's just so neat in this film. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I really like the film. I, I haven't got a problem with it at all. Um, and I think that Led Zeppelin song, which we saw in the trailer, which is used twice in the film, is a great song. Um, but I can imagine, you know, it, it's quite heavily reliant on that tone. I, I wonder where you go next with that. You'd have to, you know what I mean, where you go next if you continue. I have to I have to tell you this, talking of the song. Have you ever seen, if you haven't seen it, I'll send it you, um, someone has dubbed Holding Out for a Hero on the fight on the battles the final fight scene instead of immigrant song it's holding out for a hero and it works it is perfect okay yeah i was going to say the internet video which i've seen a lot of is of the immigrant song uh set to the scene where thor arrives in wakanda in infinity war um, oh. because it is now sort of this unofficial theme song <laughs> in a way. It is. And, and it's perfectly used, perfectly used. It reminded me of the use of the chain, actually, in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which yeah. is also used twice, albeit in a, in, in a different way. But but yeah, the, the usage of the immigrant song is absolutely perfect. And the scene, the second time it's used, which is when Thor slow-mo lands on the rainbow bridge <laughs> is instantly awesome. iconic um and yeah for so many reasons that scene is a big 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 highlight of the movie i love that fight i can just happily watch that that fight um just that scene on the loop i would say it was the best ever thor moment but then he landed in wakanda and, <laughs> exactly. one, and the, 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 there's no way well it's not only the greatest thor moment it's the greatest moment in the MCU. I like in this, I like his relationship with Bruce. I love their interactions because you haven't really had a proper banner Thor buddy up before. And I think it they work really, really well together. They, in this film, this is called Thor Ragnarok, but there are many elements of the comic book arc Planet Hulk, which have yeah. uh, been put into this film. And most notably the fact that uh, a large portion of this film takes place in Sakaar and in the comics, Hulk um, goes to Sakaar and becomes a, a champion just, just as in this film. 
Um, and he actually ends up fighting Beta Ray Bill. And there's a nice cameo or a nice nod uh, to that fight um, in the uh, statues uh, outside the, the, the Great Battle Arena, uh, if you look closely. So yeah, Marvel, Marvel has been really good about uh, transposing not the entire sort of you know, comic book arc, but elements of comic book stories into their films. And this is another such example of that. If we didn't know Hulk was in it, or they could at least hide that, I mean, that would be quite, that would have been great. I mean, granted, it was all, you know, I just remember like a lot of it built up to this contender. Yeah. And we all knew it was Hulk. And it, I feel like that lost a certain you did very excitement. Much. Yes, yes, I know. Because even if they hid that fact, Thor lands on Sakaar within the first 20 minutes of the film. As soon as the word Sakaar is mentioned, any self-respecting Marvel comic book fan will know what's going on and will know that okay. it involves the Hulk. But obviously for the people who were unaware, it was kind of like, a, not an anticlimax because it's it's a, a great fight when Hulk does appear. But it, yeah, it kind of zaps a little bit of, a bit of a surprise. It does take away some surprise elements of the film. It does, it does. But on the, on, on the flip side of that, you have one of the most memorable, immediate meme uh, lines from the trailer, which is, we know each other, he's a friend from work. Which, yeah, which, yeah, which immediately right. took social media by storm as soon as the trailer dropped. I wonder if there's a side of this, which is, we need to remember that they've made, these are films, like any series films like Star Wars and James Bond or whatever, people re-watch them again and again and again mm-hmm. and, then re- and then introduce them to their children and their family and so on. And uh, like my dad at the moment, we're, my, my, me, my brother and I are sending him uh, DVDs one at a time of the mm-hmm. Avengers films. Uh, and he's and, and we were thinking like, he's not going to know that Spider-Man is going to turn up in Civil War. He's not going to know that Hulk is going to turn up in Thor Ragnarok unless he scans at detail the sleeve, I guess, because he's on it. Um, but I think there's a bit of fun there that you yeah. kind of, that that future generations won't have all that publicity which we saw and we'll just see it happen and play out a little bit more uh, more fun in, I mean more yeah, my parents had that when my parents watched it um yeah they were like oh yeah because they've seen all the others um and yeah they, they thought well, they love it they think it's a great one they love this one shall we talk about the big bad the goddess of death <gasps> yes hella um, I think obviously Kate Blanchett, incredible actress, and I think she's somebody who, you know, uh, having her in this film was really exciting. But then I don't, I don't feel like I mean, outside of like crazy mad action sequences, um, and and her very kind of her great tone and demeanor, I, I feel like when you think back to Thor Ragnarok, you don't really think of her first i think she's probably quite low down on the list of things that are so memorable about thor ragnarok i mean there's so many good people in this film i mean you've got tessa thompson who steals every scene she's in and who has incredible as i said they've got amazing chemistry her and, and chris hemsworth um you know tom hiddleston he's he's probably his best version of loki i think um i love how he, you know, the interaction, the chemistry, again, the chemistry, the rapport they have. And it's, as you say, there's so many good characters in this. Even Korg, you think of kind of, you'd always think of Korg. And she is such a major part of this film. And, of course, yeah. But there's, I don't, 
I don't know if you, you can, I wouldn't say she's, you know, she's any lesser than anyone others or she's diminished in her role. I just feel she doesn't get, she doesn't get a lot of screen time really, does she? I don't even think screen time's a problem. I think she's got a fair amount of screen time and she's very visually striking. Um, that, 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 that costume, which I'm sure Sabina will go into soon yeah. is, is, is awesome. Um, yeah. The problem I think is that she's just one note. The the effect that her has on the plot and what her role reveals about the history of Asgard, I think, is a very very interesting path to take uh, the story down. And it's further proof that basically the fathers in MC in the MCU suck. Um, <laughs> um, you know, you got Odin who has was a was a conqueror, and it's interesting because if you go back to the first door. Laufey, who is the king of the Frost Giants, calls Odin a murderer and a thief. And we don't get the full scope of what that means until this film. Because um, Laufey is actually bang on 100% right. So I found, I found that very, very interesting, very, very intriguing. And you know, the fact that the, the, the director is, he has an interesting perspective on colonial history, given where he's from. And that history that he personally has is, is is mirrored in this movie in many ways. And I find that very, very interesting. Mm. I definitely think that, that when you talk about those broader themes, that idea of these ugly histories that we have to face uh, and we have to acknowledge and yet people don't is something worth, you know, that it is a profound sentiment. Again, we talk about this in the phase three films that they de- they go for deeper issues and much more interesting thematic points. And I think that's one thing which happens here. Funnily enough, talking about Odin a second ago, where you were talking about how he was these bad things, I was thinking to myself and, and, and how the Frost Giant was right. I was thinking to myself, like, because I don't, I still don't look at Odin as a bad oh, no, father yeah. character. I think you could argue that maybe that was what was going on at that time. It was a contextual thing. And then I think to myself, funnily enough, I that whole argument that is going on with regards to Winston Churchill and how people are like, there's that side of Winston Churchill, which is so ugly and so bad. But at the same time, he's obviously, he's seen as such an important, such a, he is a, such an important figure in, in, in British history. And how do we as a society contend with these two truths you know what i mean because they are both there we can't ignore both of them but we can't uh, but we have for the longest time ignored one side of that story and that's something that we as a society and obviously america has the same issue with with their own history that they like to kind of hide away that we have to acknowledge those things um but yeah that i just thought odin and churchill i think there's an interesting parallel maybe there that's really something i'm just throwing out yeah, there I like it. maybe that's I like ridiculous it. but interesting food for thought heimdall we get heimdall yes. back you know it's nice to see him it's always good, to see good old him. idris elba yeah he has a very big store in this and he uses it well yeah and i you know idris elba is great as heimdall but a part of me wishes that he he would get cast as somebody else so that he would have more to do in these movies. Even though he is good in this, you know, here's a, he is someone who I, who I would say doesn't have much screen time and does a lot with a little. He's, he's, he's functioning well below his skill set. They're, they're not sort of using Idris Elba to the fullest. And that's a shame because I think if he, you know, in a different universe uh, where Brexit is happening and Trump isn't president, um, that um, in, in a different universe where... Uh, it just have got cast as somebody else in the MCU. 
um, we would see more sides, uh, more sides to him because that guy deserves his own franchise, really. And Heimdall is such a he's so low down on the call sheet um, that you don't get to see as much of him as as you'd like. So that's a shame. But I I do enjoy uh, I do enjoy it whenever he pops up in this. He's great. We we talked about her briefly, but let's talk about Scrapper One Food One Four Two Tessa Thompson. She really is just electric here. She's incredible. She is damn good and I can't wait for her to come back for Endgame because she's alive and she's always said when when people have asked if she she's still alive or if she was snapped she said no she's still alive and thriving which I loved um she's just so good she, she is she she does a lot someone so a friend said that she does so much with her eyes in this with her face she just kind of has these beautiful little looks she gives um there are times when she doesn't need to have any dialogue literally you know we didn't need dialogue we had faces then like in sunset food of us she's so expressive you know whether she's fighting whether she's talking um she's just awesome i just love her lest we forget this is not the you know end game is not the end of the mcu and and this is the thing i think again we're talking about phase three properties that they want to continue with if you could choose uh to have either a thor four a captain america four or a iron man four (gasps) that's that's all of them isn't it um the trilogy ones which one would you have a fourth one of? Because I think on this basis, I would love to see more Thor films. I'm not. I feel like the arc of Iron Man and Captain America is done. I don't. I mean, sure, they're sure there's more stuff they could mine. I'm not saying they couldn't reinterpret it, but in terms of the promise of that Thor Ragnarok, I w- I don't want this to be the end of a trilogy. I want to see more Thor. Um, what do you feel about that, Amon? I think the likelihood is that we will see more Thor. Um, so if I if I had to bet any money about whether whether, that, whether that's going to happen, I, I put money down basically. <laughs> so, but in terms of what yeah. I would like to see, whether or not Steve Rogers is a non-factor by the end of Avengers Endgame, I'd be very interested to see what happens next if they go uh, if if they do another Captain America film. Because let's you know play this out and say that Steve Rogers isn't will, will be dead by the end of Avengers Endgame. There's still the question of who's going to pick up that mantle, if the mantle should be picked up, and what you know Captain America would mean without Steve Rogers in today's world. I think there's many, many interesting questions and many, many interesting themes and storylines you can mm-hmm. spin out of that, uh, and I'd be yeah. interested to see that. Because Thor now, uh, after Infinity War, is so unbelievably powerful, in the comics, Thor rebuilds Asgard on Earth, I think that's going to happen in phase four. And I think it's going to, I think Thor's going to rebuild Asgard or have like new Asgard uh, in Norway, which is the place where Odin dies. Because oh, um, that's very much connected to sort of Norse mythology. If I could put money down, I think in the final minutes of Avengers Endgame, we're going to get the seeds of that uh, planted as well. Okay, what about yourself, Sabina? Which Ooh. which which of the three would you want a fourth film on? Okay, I want what is currently going on on Twitter with um with Tessa Thompson and Brie Larson sending each other fan fiction of Valkyrie and Carol Danvers. So I want a Valkyrie, uh, Carol Danvers team up. So none of the above. None of the above. <laughs> I'm going to phase four is going to be very different, and we know it's going to be different. It's going to be it's just something you know closing chapters and opening 
open more doors. So I think go for it, you know, have these team ups that we, we've never had before. I think there's definitely going to be a whole bunch of new stuff in phase four, which I, and oh, I'm, very, yeah. I'm very excited for that. Um, I think Marvel are going to hold on to at least one of the OG franchises uh, which they've established in phase one. And I think Thor is going to be that franchise. Well, let's, yeah. look, he is, a, a, well, he's not totally invincible, but he is probably. He's very, best very best close to it. I, I'd be out of that. the original cast to, to carry on very much so. Did you not find it a bit weird? Like when he first falls onto Sakaar and you have these kind of rough dudes and they just manage to get him tied up in a, like net real quick and yet then later we see him uh like fighting hulk and lightning going crazy like do you, i felt that when i was watching it this time i thought you know it's a bit weird like surely when that group of people just put a net on him he could have very quickly just sorted themselves out like he, he looks surprisingly weak in that sequence considering how strong we see him very shortly after i think what they were trying to do uh with that because if you go back and watch that scene, the first thing he does is reach for his hammer. Yeah. But his yeah. hammer is no longer a factor. And uh, through much of the film, the mindset that Thor has is that all his power was tied to that hammer. And you know, part, part of his arc is finding that power within himself because as Odin so rightly tells him, are you Thor, the god of hammers? <laughs> no, you are not. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, and as for the, the thunder bit when he's fighting... Hulk and those powers come, that is the beginnings of Thor try, uh, understanding um, where his power comes from and w- w- with a little help from Odin because we do, we do get a flash of Odin before he lights up. And with that, he's just, you know, at that point, he's just going with it. Um, he hasn't fully understood it yet. And then obviously in that final, in the, the, before the final act begins in earnest, you get that commune with Odin where he tells him what's up. And uh, then he answers Hela's question, with a vengeance. That's what I think is going on there. <laughs> Look, I don't disagree that that doesn't work, and I'm happy. To, I'm happy to just go with that, really. Um, but uh, I just find. Wait, 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 wait. Rewind, rewind. Simon is happy to go with yeah, it. That's what did we just hear? It's taken. What did we just hear? We I accepted. I equally accepted Nakia sliding down a little chair in Black Panther. But enough of that. We haven't talked about Jeff Goldblum. Okay. We've got to talk about him. Well, he's amazing. He's, he's amazing. amazing. There's nothing else to say. He's amazing. He's fun. I hope that he is in more films and turns up every now and then as a little cameo because he's it's so. Much fun. I can't stop. I, every time I watch his film and for like a couple of weeks after, I've been going around going, you know, the seductive Lord of Thunder. <laughs> just every, just the way he delivers the lines. He has that. He just has that talent of making this dialogue not seem like dialogue just like he's wandered on set and just started talking because <laughs> he's so so mm-hmm. natural um the big one is in his like you know skybox thing watching the fight <laughs> so clapping his hands with glee um his ship the orgy ship <laughs> when that bit it's you, <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> just you and Thor don't touch anything you know um he's so good and, and just the fact that he he came on screen with this, you know, inc- just fantastic blue lipstick, and he looks so good. He still looks like, you know, Jeff Goldblum being Jeff Goldblum, and it's I just want I want more of that. He's <laughs> put him in more of these films. He's perfect. He's camp. very, very likably odd. 
yeah, in the best way possible. I also think that what's what's great about him because he's so likable, his his dastardly attitude and how bad he is is kind of hidden in his language yes. and how he talks. Like he 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 doesn't like you know what I mean. Oh, it's a bit grim when this person dies. It's almost like he doesn't like it, but he does it. And when it yeah, I'm stepping on it when he's like stepping on his cousin. Yeah, it's, it's horrendous. Yeah. Like, the, but the way he delivers it is so lightweight and so like dismiss like as if it's such a small thing. There's that one bit when. Um, who is it? The, his his kind of the woman who is in Hunt for a Wild, Wilder People, and she's in this <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she <laughs> says she says to him, you know what I mean? How oh the slaves are doing this, and he's like, don't 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 call them that. You know what I mean? And she says prisoners with jobs, and he's like, <laughs> okay, that's better. And it's so it's such a there's a there's a there's a bigger point about that yeah. as well, but equally there's something so dastardly about how he can be so you know oh you know it's 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 just a little it's like yeah. bad taste it's, not, it's nothing worse than that almost and it's like no no it's massively I, bad how he runs i the like car. that the bit of dialogue <laughs> but, yeah. they have when um he's saying you know scrap you know scrap 142 she's the best what do i call her i say she's the she's like, trash <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, like, no that doesn't begin with a b what are you talking about and um it's just really good I, oh yeah there's so many little gems in this one fun fact uh thor ragnarok uh the grandmaster is the collector's brother um ah, yes so so it'll be interesting oh, to see yes. what if uh any reaction he has to thanos uh Given that he's killing cousins, maybe he doesn't maybe doesn't have any reaction at all. But, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it's an interesting fact. Let's get into uh, costume design. Um, and it's it's a newbie, a newbie to the MCU. Um, uh, Sabina, over okay. to you because I do think everything looks very different this yeah, time. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this correctly. It's, um, is it Maez um, C Rubio? Um, she has worked on Apocalypto, Avatar, Warcraft, The Beginning, World War Z, and John Carter. You can feel yeah. a very similar thing going on with the very films she's worked so. on before and how that transfers over to Thor Ragnarok. I mean, I'm going to begin with the Hela outfit, which we talked about, which is phenomenal. So very, very detailed. Um, it's like second skin, black, iridescent green um, bodysuit and the antler helmet, which are very, very close, exactly the same, to be honest, um, from the comic books. So they, they took the comic book design as the base and they just kind of you know, updated it a little bit to for the technology, the current technology, and they wanted to add a bit more magic to it. So there's a lot of uh, technology goes into these costumes. Um, the fabric was all, you know, digitally printed. It had to be flawless, and this had to look like it belonged to Kate Blanchett's um, body. Because she shapeshifts in this film, don't forget, she's constantly shifting, you know, her body. They made the helmet, they made like that really cool, like antlery crown helmet, but that was done in, in post-production, which is a shame because that would have been awesome if she was just walking around um, with that on. So... It had to fit like a glove. It had to look sexy, which she said herself. She said it had to look dark and sexy and a little bit goth, 
but she said it's not difficult to make this this outfit not work when it's on Kate Blanchett because <laughs> it's Kate Blanchett. But what was interesting was that um, obviously we mentioned in Sakar a lot um, the the grandma the aesthetic inspiration of Sakar was Jack Kirby, the comic book writer and artist. So obviously um, the colours, the shapes, the fashion in the buildings, everywhere, nothing apparently fits straight if you look at the film. So everything is angled or cut on the bias or um, trapezoids Um, because Kirby was um, obviously it was quite mathematical. You've got Asgard, which is very classic and very smooth, very earthly in in terms of earth tone colours, their fashion. It's a bit more rustic. And then Sakaar is very angular, and shapy mm. and bright. I don't want to say gaudy. We talked about colours with the Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy episodes, and I think if the Guardians of the Galaxy turned up in Sakaar, they would fit right in. Also, um, Thor and Loki. Obviously, we've only really up to now we've only seen them in the same type of same type of uniform. But in this one, you know, Thor loses his army. He has to get have you know new armor because as well his new armor signifies that he's like becoming a more evolved person he's evolving as a character they actually sculpted this wouldn't be a bad job i tell you that they sculpted chris hemsworth's torso into a wooden block then they sculpted um, his body onto his chest plate so it would be an absolutely perfect fit and so it could look as natural as possible. And they wanted, obviously, they wanted agility because there's so much movement in this one. Loki as well has a different outfit. There's, he has a logo on his new costume. She said herself, she said, because Loki is full of weakness and one of his weaknesses is to associate with the wrong people. But by wearing a more of a Sakaar-like um, uniform. It's like he's aligning himself with them and he's betraying um, his own people. And then he goes back to the uh, original costume when he realigns himself with his brother. So one more Valkyrie. Valkyrie's um, very interesting. They just wanted her to look like this badass warrior, really. And so she said herself, she, she rides winged horses and she fights throughout her her third act of the movie in that costume, you know, that beautiful um, grey armour, the Valkyrie uniform. She says it's heroic, it's epic, it's especially helped the character and honoured Asgard. So it's a proper badass, you know, warrior suit. And one final point, which um, which doesn't occur in Captain Marvel, and we picked up on it, um, Hela and Valkyrie have lit very small wedge heels with their costumes. And she said it's more of a matter of posture if you put a woman in a heel she will walk um a certain way a certain strut she will have it doesn't work in every film that we've seen as as um film history tells us but in this i think these these ladies strut their stuff in this film and they do and i think sometimes a heel can work if it's practical not if it's a stiletto but in this sense it works very very well yeah i mean it's definitely there's so many it's just there's again because it's so out of this world 
You know, it's so, yeah, the colours, the design, it just looks incredible. Let's get into the music then, Amon. Um, so this is, again, a newbie, a, a new person to the MCU, am I right? Correct. Uh, Mark Mothersbaugh, who is not the obvious choice for a super movie, but in the end, it turns out to be an inspired one. Brings sort of a 1980s synth style uh, to the movie that really, oh, really I works. do want to point out a little, little nugget, little factoid. Go ahead. So there's a classic hit from the 80s. Called Whip It. Go forward. Move ahead. Try to detect it. It's not too late to whip it. Whip it good. Do you, do you know it? Good. Yes. That's <laughs> it. Yeah. He was in that band who made that song. No. Wow. wow. Yep, yep, yep. And more to my generation in particular, he also was part of the team who composed the Rugrats oh, theme tune. Wow. wow. What, a, what a body of work. Wow. And Hotel Transylvania 3. Really? But, yeah, let's, let's talk about that. Thank you for making me feel so old, Simon. I really <laughs> I appreciate know, that. I know. Um, it's, it's really interesting. This is the only Marvel movie where to the, or Marvel franchise with a set of movies to have all three different themes in the movie. Uh, so not, not only do you have Mark Modersbaugh's uh, new theme, which is really great and grand and fitting for God, but you get two themes from, from Brian Tyler. You got the uh, Age of Ultron lullaby uh, music, uh, which is made fun of to very hilarious effect on numerous occasions in this movie. And the, the most memorable use of it is, of course, when Thor in mid-battle tries to do the lullaby and Hulk does a low key on him and chucks him all over the place, which is very, very funny. <laughs> but we get that scene. We also get uh, on Thor the Dark World, and I mentioned this on the podcast called Into Eternity. It's played when it's played in Frigga's funeral. When uh, we get that scene with many awesome cameos, which he actually didn't, which he didn't mention, but it's near, near the start of the movie when they are reenacting the death of Loki in Thor The Dark World, oh, yeah. and Matt Damon is there, Sam Neill is yeah. there, Luke Hemsworth is there, and in the background of that scene, we get Into Eternity being played. And also, uh, in the final, final minutes of the film, when Thor ascends to the throne, of sorts, uh, we get Patrick Doyle's Thor theme. Uh, so I find that uh, very interesting. I think you know all the uses of those themes are, are very clever. And, and they will hit the spot. And yeah, it's, it's unusual, but, but it definitely, definitely works. Um, as for what's going on with this score, the new music, it's really, really cool. Um, the electronics and the synths are blended with the orchestra and they complement each other in really, really wonderful ways. Um, and then a number of standout tracks. Twilight of the Gods definitely stands out for me. That uh, plays when um, Odin is dying. And it's got, it's got a very mournful tone to it um, that, that really comes through well. Then obviously you've got the Ragnarok Suite, which is the first track on uh, the album and might be my favourite. It's just so grand and powerful and takes you through all sort of the different ideas that Mother's Bow is employing throughout the film. There's one track I'd recommend, it would be that one. But also you've got the title track, Thor Ragnarok, which is 
awesome. And then the, to, towards the latter part of the album, you got Grandmaster Jam Session, which is yeah. <laughs> which is a very you know you will you will not hear anything else like it in any other MCU score. That is for sure. Uh, it's very weird, and very very wacky, but it works. <laughs> when it when it, when you see uh, Jeff Goldblum kind of making his music <laughs> in that, it, it made it, it reminds me of Ross in Friends when he's like playing his music. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. You know, with the helicopter sound and all that kind of stuff. That is one of my favorite ever Voss moments, by the way. It's it's just fantastic. Yeah. Um <laughs> but but yeah, it's really, really interesting what he does here. Um and it, it works for what the story is trying to do, especially once we arrive on Sakar, that's when the synths and everything starts to come in and the orchestra is put to one side a bit. And it really, really, really works. Uh, so yeah, I, I enjoyed the score. Uh, one of the things which I had been advocating, uh, especially before I heard the score, was for that continuity and for Marvel to sort of pick a score and stick with it. But, <laughs> but at the same time, I love all the Thor themes um, in different ways. Uh, and you know, as I, as, again, all, all of them uh, are put to good use here. Uh, so, so yeah, it's it's definitely one I recommend. Yeah, that that moment at the end when Patrick Doyle's theme comes back is a really, I think it's a really fulfilling moment. This kind of new team or something with Hulk, Loki, and Valkyrie and uh, and, and the lot. I think it's great. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, final thoughts. Um, one thought I have is I would like to see a prequel involving Doug. But <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would just mention that we're going to talk about him a lot more in Infinity War as well, but I really love the Doctor Strange cameo in this. Um, it, oh, yes, it, really, it really works well. And again, you know, even before we get to Infinity War, this does a good job of showing you that Doctor Strange has leveled the hell really? up to the point where Loki is just, you know, he's toying with him. And that was a really, really cool thing to see. The, the scene is also just really fun and funny. When Thor is summoning Mjolnir, which is obviously disguised as an umbrella, <laughs> uh, and it's just, you know, making all sorts of mess is really, really great. The, the teleportation around around the Sanctum Sanctorum is really, really funny. The the fact that uh, Doctor Strange is pouring him a drink and, you know, automatically refilling it. All those little touches and little nods are really, really fun. And, you know, they, they could have had the cameo be either blink and you miss it or just a, you know, just a lot less memorable and just, you know, forgettable. But they really went to you know great lengths to make it stand out and really make it happen in a really fun way and uh, make it important to the story that the that, that's being told. And I, I really really like that. But what I really didn't like, and what I think you know, and this is a this is a common criticism of not just this movie but of all the Thor movies, they did not give the Warriors three enough to do, and the fact that they are unceremoniously dispatched, uh, some without even getting a line. Uh, is not a thing that I liked. I'm I'm happy that Jamie Alexander wasn't available to film for this shame. movie because if she was, then Sif would probably be dead, and not in the way that you know you can bring him bring her bring her back after Thanos snap. She would just be dead, dead. Uh, and so you know maybe they they will bring her back for a future MCU film. I think that they deserve better. I I like those characters, and I think they could have really done something with them if they were still around. There would definitely be one, you know, a set of characters who I would have liked to see, um, seen the TV show on and on Disney Plus. That's not going to happen anymore because they're dead. Well, you know, they they could always do a kind of prequel. It takes place between the Dark World and Ragnarok or something. Uh, you know what I mean? Like they could do that, but 
given that Zachary Levi is now Shazam and the whole big star, I don't think that's gonna happen, but but yeah. That's true, that's true, that's true. But I mean, I did feel I did like how um, I mean, it nevertheless did establish Kate Blanchett pretty pretty impressively as she just goes, "I'm Hella," and then poof, and then that's crazy. But like I, yeah, I mean, I think when you know the comic books and you know how thought thorough and how much how in, how interesting these characters are for them to go in that way, it, I appreciate it. It's a shame. Yeah, I would have liked I would have liked it to be a little bit less heteronormative. And um, I say this as a heterosexual woman, but I think it would have been nice if the original plan to have um, Banner come out of of Hulk um, because of Thor instead of because of Nat would have been it would have been nicer really because you almost have that when um, they're fighting you know that the sun's going down the sun's going down and uh, yeah that original plan um, was was scrapped. They try to disguise, you know, Valkyrie's sexuality. You know, they they had the scene when when the girl was coming out of her um, her room, and then Marvel kind of shut that down. And I think, you know, it would have been nice to to have that in this film. I think you are completely, completely right about that, and that's a problem which is not just limited to this uh, film in the MCU. There's been the same sort of similar issue uh, with Okoye and one of the Dora Milaje in Black Panther. Before I go any further, I should also probably say that this is not a problem even just limited to Marvel. There have been multiple franchises which have done this, either, you know, we're, we're cutting the scene down, and then, you know, after the film is released, this information comes to light. And it's just Marvel, and you know, they, they deserve credit, and we have given them credit for being at the forefront when it comes to showing, showing diversity on a scale, on a platform as big as they have. And... But if, if you have that platform, you've got to use it to really commit on the gay front too because that, that will make an impact on a whole bunch of people who, who need that kind of representation. I think the fact that they're not uh, you know, being explicit about these things, I think means that in the future, they can introduce these elements. And I think they're in a position now where they know, especially through the kind of, you know, quote unquote risks they took on, you know, they, you wouldn't normally have a lead black actor in a, in a film or you wouldn't normally have a lead female hero. And yet it's clearly not a problem, not an issue. I can't help but think that moving forward, there's not they got nothing to lose and i think they've they're probably sat there and some whoever's made that decision to not put that scene uh which valkyrie which they film with valkyrie and the same with um the characters in black panther and the same with their character and in captain marvel if i whoever's making that decision the future only means that they they have to kind of open those doors and, and do that so i think we are i think we're the reason why we're talking about this is because they have left those holes there to be filled and I think in the future, that will happen uh, in some way or another. I think it's just a matter of time. It's taken 20-odd films to have a a woman, you know, like headline the film. It's like, come on! Yeah, you know. no, that, that, yeah. I'm not saying that's... Yeah, that, yeah I, you know, I know. Look, I mean, I, I wish it was all done sooner. I wish they were, you know, but I think I think you could... The writing's on the wall, you know what I mean? And I think, you know, these characters, that they, they've got time. These This series will go on and on and on, and they've already broken barriers. They've already set the stage on a lot of issues. I think that can only continue. But we talked, didn't we, before about uh, a similar situation 
situation, wasn't there? In Iron Man 3, Rebecca Hall's character well, couldn't be the lead baddie. And now I think she, oh, if, if yeah. they were making Iron Man 3 now, she would have been. So we know things have changed and things will continue to change. And that's a positive. Anyway, we'll wrap it up there with Thor Ragnarok. Um, after the break, we are going to be talking about the first series of Runaways and uh, the first series of Cloak and Dagger. This is going to be very brief about these two series, um, only about 10 episodes per series, um, but they are apparently Marvel. Well, they are. They are, without a doubt, Marvel series. Well, yeah, um, of course they are. They've got Marvel in the title. They're Marvel's Runaways. Be- before we get into talking about them, I have to admit, like, I felt very distant from the MCU watching uh, both of these. Maybe Cloak and Dagger more so maybe than Runaways, but in both cases, I feel like I'm so far away uh, from it that that it's almost, it didn't feel connected. Um, I don't know, did you feel the same when you were watching these? Uh, yes, they are many miles away from the MCU, um, and that's not, that's not necessarily a bad thing. That means they can be more self-contained. Yeah. And I think we've we've definitely gotten to the point now where we don't even need uh, cameos or nods to uh, what's going on in the wider universe. Um, although, you know, as we've mentioned before, now that we've got Disney Plus on the way, um, I definitely think we're going to get more synergy between what's going on on the big screen and the small screen. Mm. Um, so, yeah, no, I, and I, I enjoyed Runaways for what it was. Um, I didn't think it was... I mean, it, it got a lot of hype at the time of its release, and I couldn't quite get to that level of appreciation with it but the cast of young performers are really really good and engaging and i enjoyed watching them uh develop uh as the episodes went on i did think it had that problem that some shows do when the audience knows more than the characters and they wait a little bit too long to pull the trigger on certain storylines and story beats but with all that said, I still really enjoyed it. I am yet to watch season two, but it is on my to-do list for sure. Because Runaways, just for those who haven't seen it, um, is about basically, uh, and stop me if I'm wrong, uh, Sabina and uh, Amon, a um, bunch of crazy rich kids uh, in in Brentwood. Crazy rich kids? That's an alternate name right there. But that's an important, yeah. <laughs> that's an important part of it, that they are ridiculously rich. Um, yeah. And part of that, and then basically we find out that this group of kids, their parents are involved in some sort of cult, um, whereby we basically we, be, we 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 find out over the course of the series what that cult is all about, and where mm. well, no, no, I guess not all the questions are answered really, but we find also that some of them have kind of weird superpowers. So in one case, a girl uh, can be all like sparkly, which is a bit weird, uh, and there I love that. It's I, a lovely power to have. I did. I, I liked it. I like it too. Um, there's also a dinosaur in this one. Yeah, the which, rats are in the basement. Um, you know? Do you know what? Normally, when dinosaurs are in anything, if it's not Jurassic Park, I always feel a bit like, oh, it seems a bit weird. But I really like this dinosaur. I thought, it considering it's a TV series, it didn't look completely fake. Clearly, they have the whole Jurassic Park situation where they have an actual model and a and CG 
playing at the same time. So the characters do touch the kind of animal and stroke the head, and they're very close. The one character, Gert, for example, is very uh, close to this dinosaur um, uh, as well. So it's quite, it's quite, but it's quite weird uh, how it kind of plays out. But it does look very cool. These sun-kissed kind of uh, you know streets, these beautiful lighting, the the cool kind of electronic kind of MGMT Blade Runner kind of the even a bit Twin Peaksy kind of uh, soundtrack. I, I, you know, I kind of I did really like it. It was definitely to think that this is within the MCU uh, was was really really fun. Sabina, how did you find the first series of Runaways? I liked it. I did like it. Um, it's different, as you said, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, it feels very fresh. The cast are really good. Um, I love seeing um, James Masters on screen playing like quite a, a horrible, not very likable person because I loved him as Spike in Buffy. He was like my 10 or so, gosh, 10, 20? No, not 20 years ago. He was like major crush. I loved him in Buffy. So <laughs> I love like, you today, Sabina. I love a lot. Yeah, yeah, I really, really liked him a lot. And um, But in this, his, you know, his, he is not likable at all. It, it's quite refreshing to have a show where, you know, the kids are meant to be the strange one. Really, the, the parents are mm. going, you know, the parents are the crazy ones. Well, they're just strange and you don't know. They've got this weird cult thing and there's like, in some respects, the kids are like the voice of sanity because the parents are doing all this stuff and they're, you think they're killing people and they're doing all these despicable, you know, plots. And and then the guy from Nip Tuck comes in towards the end <laughs> of the show and he's playing like a really horrible, smarmy character who also glows because that was Jonah, obvious to be. isn't it? His name's Jonah, Jonah. Yes. Jonah. It was like a big Yeah, one. that paternity thing was like, just obviously it was like oh come on mm. um I, I kind of feel a little bit bad that i'm not using the actors names and i can barely remember the characters names um but part of it is because there's about six or seven of these kids it's quite it's quite a large group and then you have all the parents as well if anything it's quite an accomplishment to have all these stories comfortably weaving in between each other and linking together uh but there's one girl as well who's got the who just realizes that she has a superpower to be ridiculously strong when she wants to be. Um, but yeah, the kids are so clever uh, as well. They're, they're, like I said, they're, they're a pleasure to kind of be around. Um, but I'm not too sure about the the little bit of politics they kind of dabble with. It, it clearly, I do think that there is a point about the the older generation and the younger generation being a little bit more... Yeah, you know, the, the future is brighter for the younger generation, the older people. I don't really know how it's going because um, there's a quote, there's a line in it at one point where somebody says to a character, you haven't been on a date since the Obama administration. So it's it's obviously in a kind of post-Obama world. So we can assume thematic links, obviously not literal links, but thematic links to a kind of Trump presidency but i there's one character that Gert's character who's like really progressive really kind of self-aware really kind of all this kind of stuff it's her kind of liberal position to things almost seems to be mocked at some point so that sometimes that might just be the characters and their differing attitudes i think more so but i think with Gert, sometimes i'm worried that the way her 
opinion is framed is more like, oh, look at her with her quirky ideas about, you know, equality. Because I agree with her. So I'm a bit like, don't get the mick out of her. She's right. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is also a good pro LGBT, LGBT message in it, which was really refreshing to see. Again, we've seen, um, you know, LGBT issues raised on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and in this, they go much deeper into the relationship between two characters, uh, two female characters like that. Um, and that was really satisfying to me and really sensitively handled, I felt. And I, I thought that was kind of like, again, the TV series doing a much better job on that front uh, in comparison to the movies. Agreed. These are new characters, as we've said. Maybe there isn't that um, emotional attachment mm. yet. So they, they they can do it straight away. Um, but in TV, they can just go there. Maybe they don't have the same restrictions that they mm. do in the film. Maybe because it's, it's a different... Um, it's a different producer, isn't it, for the TV shows? It's just more progressive. You know, I mean, this, this, yeah, this progressive one, less boundaries, you know, yeah, things like yeah. that. And, but I think it, ultimately it works. So, so that's great. It does work. Um, yeah. it, it is quite funny ultimately that the setup is, you know, it's called Runaways. They don't run away until like the last episode. So <laughs> yeah. it's only now. <laughs> As I'm as I'm going to watch the second series, that I'm thinking to myself, okay, so now they're runaways. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we'll see how that uh, pans out. Cloak and Dagger is the other series. Again, this is a much uh, smaller story, much more tighter, and it's about this kind of double act between two characters. Uh, we have. Tandy on the one hand, and we have Tyrone on the other hand. The setup is in New New Orleans. Uh, you have you have this one uh, night set in I think it's uh, 90s. I think it is uh, where this where Tandy, who is part who is in a very affluent family, she's a ballerina. She's with her dad. They get into a crash. You know, the dad dies as a consequence of this. Uh, Roxon plant. We've heard of Roxon before in Agents of Shield. Simultaneously, uh, this student, this young lad called Tyrone, is with his older brother and uh, Billy, if I remember rightly, and he is a African American, and uh, he's he's being chased by a cop. Uh, the cop shoots his brother. His brother falls into the water, and Tyrone jumps in after him. And there, and so then that explosion happens again from that uh, Roxon plant, and they both kind of gain these powers, which we only see later on when they're teenagers and they're brought back together again. And it's all set in New Orleans, which is very cool and very much a crucial part of it. The New Orleans history is a massive part of this series. Um, I really, really enjoyed this one a lot. Um, Amon, how did you find this one? I thought it got a lot better as it went along. And as the characters developed, I really, really, really started to like it. Um, I think the connection between the two leads is great um, and very, very well acted, particularly the... Is it Olivia Holt? That's right, Olivia Holt. Yeah, yeah that's right. Oh, I'm so happy with myself right now. She is really, really good. Um, and she was very... She, she, she's, she's definitely the most impressive thing about it. Sorry, I felt the opposite. I thought Aubrey Johnson just stole the show. Aubrey Johnson played Tyrone. I thought he was incredible. Oh, like, he was just like... <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I think in the final episodes where they finally got more of a handle on their skill sets and are teaming up together are really, really great. And uh, the storylines are very weighty as well, which I appreciated. And they didn't have to go that that route, um, particularly this early on. Um, but I was really impressed that they did. And I'm very, very excited for the second season, which is start- starting very, very soon. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Tyrone has his own kind of journey where he's trying to find out 
who killed his brother, not who killed his brother, but making sure that the policeman who was responsible for killing his brother is held to Mm -hmm. account for that. Um, And simultaneously, Tandy has her own exploration. So they have, you have these two kind of parallel stories, but it visually, they are constantly making these connections between these two, like throughout. It's very poetically done, I found, and I really enjoyed that. It wasn't just like, here are these two stories kind of playing out. They really made these links constant in the, in the color palette that they used in the, the costumes that were chosen in the settings the locations everything constantly uh contrasted and revealed these different sides to each other and i really enjoyed that kind of energy to it that that was one of the strongest things about that they both have their 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 superpowers are interesting too tandy's powers funnily enough is is a little bit like hella in thor ragnarok where she kind of just create these creates these little white daggers i guess um Mm -hmm. uh, and then i would stop short of comparing her to uh, Hella. Yeah. <laughs> Hella's got knives coming okay, out well, of her, okay. everything, you know. And Hella is kind of powerful. <laughs> yeah. Hella is the okay, goddess okay. of death. But she isn't quite there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but Tandy has those kind of, again, they're small little daggers. You imagine Hella, but with like tiny little daggers and only two of them. <laughs> like that's it but it's it, it, but in, in a similar way she she kills these people but the ultimately the thing is that obviously these weapons when she does kill people in some cases um disappear so there's no uh evidence i guess um whereas tyrone on the other hand his power is this cloak thing which as i understand is when he covers himself uh he can disappear and transport himself to other locations at will yeah which is teleportation is, yeah, and, 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 and it looks yeah, yeah. visually very, very cool too. What what they do with the cape visually uh, as he uses his powers is very, uh, is very, very cool. And it's interesting again because we go back to what we talked about, Ages of Shield, and how sometimes the special effects don't really work. Well, I mean, um, you, you know, said, we have, we kind of just ride with it. We know they haven't got the budget. Because <laughs> you were saying, you know, like yeah, Ghost yeah, Rider face, for me, you like, were saying that you, you're crazy. Um. <laughs> look, I. <laughs> Negating that, we know budget is an issue with Agents of Shield from time to time. Whereas I think with uh, with both Cloak and Dagger and Runaways, I think they very much are comfortable with the special effects they use. They don't go OTT. You know what I mean? It, you know the fact that their powers are somewhat limited it is kind of a good thing, and that the strength of the shows is more about the style of the show itself and how the show is presented. And in the case of uh, Cloak and Dagger, the quality of the acting. The fact that you and I both have like preference as to which one we think is the best one the other actor i don't think is in any way uh mm. deeply inferior or anything they they really complement each other really really well they don't they don't shy away from political issues you know the idea of idealism and realism comes up at one point uh, there's a villain who kind of references what's his name spider-man and says with great power comes <laughs> even more power which is uh, snarky and he says in this day and age you don't just keep up with the joneses but with the starks and the rands so you know, it, it's these are very loosely yeah. connected to the MCU, but they kind of hint at it, you know, and at the end of Cloak and Dagger, we get a new villain emerging or at least a new character emerging, um, w- w- which is nice as well. But yeah, uh, yeah, these are so strong. I think ultimately, if you're going to watch any TV series from the MCU, make it these ones. Uh, these are these are great fun well, and Shield's really like good. Agents great of Shield's good. Shield is good. And Agent Carter. They've got to watch Agent Carter. Come on. Agent Carter. Not not good Agent Carter. Okay. Agent Carter. Agent Carter as well. It's a to have an Agent uh, Carter but, reference yeah. in every episode to me. I I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. I'm gonna do my bit, haven't I? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. And there is, of course, there is a Stan Lee cameo in Runaways, which is him right there. And there's a Andy Warhol-esque Stan Lee portrait, which turns up in Cloak and Dagger. So, you know, you get your Stan Lee cameos as well, which is nice mm-hmm. to see. Okay, we'll wrap up our TV conversation there. Um, and we're going to uh, go straight into ranking uh, Thor Okay, we're ranking Thor Ragnarok. Um, I'm kind of intrigued to see where this is going to be on people's ranking because I think Thor Ragnarok is a type of one that everybody goes crazy about. Like, oh, I love it. It's amazing. I feel like, Sabina, you're one of those people on a side note. I love um, it. But I, I love a lot of them. I've got like five five second places at this point. So, But, <laughs> but I think when you rank it, you kind yeah. of reveal your hand. You know, you reveal yeah. like actually... You know, I don't think it's as good as this one, this one, even if it's so slight. I mean, I'm not saying, because I like the film without a doubt, but like you said, a lot of them are really good, but where you rank it is kind of a tricky one. Um, Should we go with Amon first? Do you want to tell me where you're going to be putting uh, Thor Ragnarok? All right, so I'll go from the top and then I'll stop when we hit Thor Ragnarok. But number one, Captain America Civil War. Number two, Captain America Winter Soldier. Number three, Black Panther. Number four, Avengers Age of Ultron. Number five, Avengers Assemble. Number six, Guardians of the Galaxy. Number seven, Iron Man. Number eight, Doctor Strange. Number nine, Spider-Man Homecoming. Number ten, Thor Ragnarok. Um, oh, wow. And Goodness number man. 11 is Thor. Um, so it is the best Thor movie. Uh, not by much, um, but it is the best Thor movie. Um, but that emotional resonance was lacking for me. And in all the films I had mentioned previously, I felt more i felt more of that in in various degrees uh so that is why thor ragnarok is where it is but there are many many things as we discussed that i like about it there's some incredible spectacle i should have even mentioned that we, we get the last the last fight of Mjolnir. the, the last fight with, with Mjolnir is so freaking awesome that opening scene against serta um we have not seen thor use mm. that many tricks in his repertoire in one sequence since the first movie and get and that battle with the frost giants um so that yeah. was just cool because he's doing everything with that hammer he's you know spinning it in his hand and taking out people that way he throws it in a circle to sort of give him breathing space summons it again catches it he does everything and he then uses it to, to block Santa's fire attack and all of that looks unbelievably cool and I had a gigantic smile on my face watching that for the first time. Um, because, again, I love it when, you know, they are at least a little bit truer to the power set and the skill set that Thor has in the comics. And, you, and, you know, they, they develop it here in a big way. And they take it, again, another step further in Infinity War, as we will soon discuss. You definitely do feel like with uh, yeah Thor in this one, you've got that opening fight, which is awesome. And then when I think about the, another fight, which is really awesome, which is in, I guess it's the final fight. Yeah. And then at, between the middle there, 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 there obviously is going to be confrontations. But yeah, isn't he just like chained up and then being, it, then he meets Hulk and like, they get along? And oh, they, I guess they do have a fight. Yeah. So, I don't know. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I see what you mean there. Okay, uh, for me, I think uh, I'll just go from the top. Uh, one, Civil War. Uh, two, Avengers Assemble. Three, Black Panther. Four, Winter Soldier. Five, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. 
six is Thor. Wow, that's high. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but when I'm when I am looking at it, I mean, I do feel comfortable putting it there. I don't feel like that's not that's too high or maybe too high or anything like that. I think you know, I do prefer it over Iron Man three ultimately. Um, like uh, you know, you know how I feel about Iron Man, um, and I think everything below that is just you know they're really good films. But like Thor Ragnarok, I do like the tone, Waititi's style, the vision, the kind of the music, all that stuff. It, there's, it's very fun, um, and I think again, it's that rewatchability, and that, yeah, it's got the rewatchability. And I like, and Thor is a great lead character. Throw in your Hulk and throw in you know Valkyrie and throw in all these awesome characters as well, like. I'm there. I'm right there. So, yeah, not necessarily right at the top there, but, yeah, pretty, pretty damn high at number six for me. Sabina, where Ooh, are you? I have got, like, a very, very awkward one. I'm, I'm shocked, I really Sabina. Love this I am one. actually then shocked. I, really love, I love this one, but then I really <laughs> love a lot of them. I like the quirkiness of this one very much so. So I don't know. I'm going to put it sort of a loose because now my rankings have gone out the window. So I'm going to put it, like... I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna, I don't probably on a par with Civil War because I like it for very, very different reasons. Um, and I think sometimes I like a film and I can't because it, even if a film is tonally different, like, you know, the, the affection for it will be the same even if it's tonally different. So a film can be this way and be very good or it can be this way and be very good. Um, yeah, around sort of... On the par with Civil War, more or less. So, so we're talking. That's about fourth positioning, like in your joint. Just got these films have got badass women with them, and I, I just love them, and should, I can't bring them. Should we just yeah, break it down to yeah. good or bad? Good or and, bad, or if I watch, and this is one that I do watch a lot, a lot, a lot of times, and I more than Winter Soldier. Oh no, no, I don't know. Very, you know, it depends on the mood. It depends on the mood. Because I love, yeah, Winter Soldier is still my favourite, I would say. Oh, my favourite. You don't think this could vie for your favourite positioning? No, not yet. No. Yeah, third or fourth place for me. A joint third or fourth place. I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of imagining that when we get to the end here, you'll turn around and be like, so I've got three films in the first place. Yeah. Five films yeah. in the second place. <laughs> and seven films in yeah. the third place. And it's like your bottom one is like fourth Incredible place. Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> you know. fourth place, Incredible Hulk. Okay, um, right. That's going to wrap up our uh, Thor Ragnarok episode, or, or shall I say the Scrapper 142 episode. Okay, where can people find more of your work, Sabina? I'm on Twitter at Sabina Stent. Um, and you can find work, my work and my links in my MCU-related ramblings over there. And chances are by the time people hear this, you'll be chilling out in los angeles yeah and sharing your la trip with everybody so yeah that should I be will. uh that should be what should people be should be tuning into at some yeah. extent to see what's going on in la um amon what about you where can people find more of your work if you travel through the devil's anus <laughs> <laughs> it is if you travel through the devil's anus you can find me on uh, you can find me in asgard uh, which is now based in Watford because Asgard is not a place, it's a people. And therefore, you can find me there. You can also find me in the Twitterverse at a woman. Okay. Um, and it's worth uh, pointing out, obviously, that the end of Ragnarok does have them, like, say, we're going to go to Earth, but then Thanos turns up in his ship. So that idea about them going to Earth is kind of 
hinted at at that point there. Yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter too, at Screen Insight. Of course, uh, we're all on at Marvel Rap from time to time, and we will share stuff and share our own stuff and do stuff. So if you follow at Marvel Rap, anything really ace and Marvel-based, we will uh, retweet and share. Uh, and obviously get in contact with us and message us. Yeah, send you. us some questions. We've only got a few shows left, so, yeah. you know, yeah. send us stuff. We'll answer your weird questions if you've had, like, anything that we've said over the show. Yeah. yeah. That would be that fun. Would be that, fun. That would be fun. Okay, yeah. uh, we'll wrap it up there. That's our Scrapper 165. Oh, I got it wrong, didn't I? I knew it. Scrapper <laughs> 142. The Scrapper 142 episode. We're out. Thank you very much. You could not live with your own failure. Where did that bring you? Back to me. So just this last week, the end game, one minute kind of tickets have arrived. Uh, teaser has dropped. And I, I want to start this with a very short quote from uh, Mendelssohn's article on Forbes uh, regarding uh, the latest trailer. It says, just from the clip Marvel just dropped, three weeks before the global debut, no less, we get confirmation that A, Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark returns to Earth. B, Tony Stark and Chris Evans' Steve Rogers make up and become in a moment that you think they save for the movie itself. And C, there are absolutely two distinct time periods for the movie. We've got one big action se- sequence where our heroes without Stark and Karen Gillan's Nebula, fly into space to confront Thanos. And then, since Iron Man is now round and Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow has a new haircut, there's a second super-duper confrontation, presumably sometime later. End quote. So it gives a lot away, this one, doesn't it? There's a lot of, there seems to be a lot of information in it. And yeah, and also I noticed that on um, the shot of Tony after you see him holding the photo of him with Peter... Behind him, it looks like his bar in Stark Towers in the first Avengers film. Where, you know that scene when he's talking to Loki? Oh, yeah. Before he says, we have a Hulk. And, and he said, I'm having a drink. Do you want one? And he goes like behind his bar. If you look at that, it looks like the same set. It looks like the same scene. And so I they might be back in that. Stark Tower. It's back in Stark Tower, 2012. For the first well, Avengers. We all knew that we're going to go back, back to the um, Battle of New York anyway from the photos but it's just so nice to see you know tony and cap on screen that that beautiful line you know you trust me and he says i do do you not feel it's spoiled too much no because there's so much more we don't know and we knew Hmm. we, we kind of knew this reunion was going to happen eventually it would have been cruel not to give us this reunion um people Mm. wanted it in infinity war we didn't get it um it's always been leading to this and i think if anything it's just um excavated our desire for this film to see this film because we want to know you know we were going to go anyway i I don't know about you simon i was really on the fence about seeing avengers endgame but i think this trailer might have swayed <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, oh, yeah you know one new over that they've made up i agree with both of you i think that they did give too much away i also think that there's still so much we don't know to come but i was surprised that they included that moment with uh stark and cap 
I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure if that is the moment where they have made up or if they've made up by that time. Because I think when that moment happens, it will be a much uh, so you know, it'll be a much bigger moment, much bigger scene. I think it'll just be the two of them hashing it out, talking, and that's going to be the moment where they get back on the same page. And I think even though we have seen this little tiny snippet, it's not going to take away from the satisfaction of seeing that full scene for the first time. I was surprised that they even gave us a shot of Thanos because, because we had two trailers and like a big, the the Super Bowl spot, we we didn't get one facial shot of him and we didn't even hear his voice. Uh, So the fact that we get both in this sort of little snippet was surprising to me. It was interesting how they, it looks like, um, you know, in in the second trailer, we get that awesome moment between Captain Marvel and Thor when Thor calls Stormbreaker, they're using a different camera angle, which I found interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and but there's a couple of really cool group shots, which you know, are you know very tantalizing. And this whole thing you know, is a tantalizing. But for me, the, the moment which really uh, sent me into squee overdrive was in the final seconds when uh, we get that shot of MCU's Trinity which is yes. Thor, Cap, and Tony uh, oh. sort of walking as one over to Thanos, and that is that was spectacular. And you know, you know, I'm we're obviously very much in the bag for these movies, but the fact that we can get excited that not even a shot of the full characters, just a shot of their boots. I, I, th- I think it's always possible that the they can drop the ball from time to time, but these guys have been marketing these films for years. They're not always honest with what they show and they this know, you know, and, and this is one minute. I don't, I think, don't get me wrong. I think reading a little bit after you've watched the trailer and whatever is fine. But I think if you watch things again and again and again and you go over every possible option, then you're inevitably going to find something. But I think trailers are always about watching it a few times getting excited and then if you're excited then leaving it like that you know and then wait wait until the film so chances are from this point forward i won't won't, won't go out of my way to watch it you know we, you know you just think in time in time wise and you combine all the trailers and the amount of new footage it can't be much you know what i mean and mm-hmm. therefore how 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 do we have any idea you know <laughs> what is true and what is not, and what is a what is a curveball, what is supposed to. I don't know. I think we can trust this trailer more than the other trailers because this trailer has the feel of they're picking clips from the final film, whereas when the, in the in the first two trailers, um, because they came so early, um, you know, it will be easier for them to do trickery. Uh, but the fact that this was in effect a, a TV spot, and you know, TV spots, more, yeah, they're even. Cause I remember even even with the Infinity War TV spots, they had shots of Thanos with his gauntlet, and there were four stones in the gauntlet, and that was before the movie came out. TV spots, I don't think there's barely any trickery in that. Trailers, you know, you look at back, you look back at the trailers for Infinity War, and then the trailers. They'll show Dallas's gauntlet and it has two stones in it when actual fact that scene, Dallas will have more than two stones in it. So I think being that this is so close to release, being that this is in, 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 in effect a TV spot, we can trust what we're seeing. Uh, in this in this trailer, so ah, uh, you know, I'm I'm excited anyway. I'm excited. Um, Did you think well, of Renner's tattoo? What do you think of Hawkeye's tattoo, Simon? Because oh, I know they look you were great. Very fond of his haircut. 
Yeah, I, I think it's great. I think he, there's a really cool look to him. And I think, you know, when they change up completely and it's yet the same character, but it looks completely, I think it looks great. And I think, I do think his whole weird look is just, just <laughs> weird like, look. I like it. I like it. It's different. <laughs> I'm excited to see him again. <laughs> different. I'm not sure if I'd call it good. <laughs> um, okay, uh, we'll stop there. Um, and uh, that's our little bit of endgame chatter. Um, and we'll obviously have more probably the last time uh, won't be oh my it's just so soon it's just so soon um, we'll we'll see it so soon very exciting stuff um, and we'll speak to you all soon